Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick. All right, welcome back to Shifting Schools. Just got off another great interview with Gabriella Marit. Uh, we're talking about data visualization, part of our series here all about data. Uh, Trisha, what was your big takeaway from today's talk? My big takeaway was we can really think about getting curious about our own lives if we are thinking about data literacy. And Gabriella will talk about an example of how she did that in her work, um, how it was a personal project. And it's such a cool example. I know those of you who teach teens or preteens, I think it's a, a personal project that could be replicated and students would love to dig into. So I'm not spoiling yeah. it here. You'll have to tune in, listen, listen up for it. But um, again, she talks about the ways that we can use objects, not always having to rely on technology in order to communicate and present data. And also that we don't need to be thinking about huge data sets, but we might start really small. One of the examples that she gives is tracking how many times a day you say thank you and just carrying a notepad around and documenting that and then think about maybe how you would present a week's worth of thank yous. Yeah. And I, I love that she talks about, you know, getting personal with data and we've got so much data. I mean, for better or for worse, we live in a data rich world. And, you know, we talk about in the podcast that you, you walk around with a cell phone, it's gathering all kinds of data uh, on you. And how are we using that with students? How are we helping students to see, you know, hours of sleep or, you know, how, how often are you reading? What days do you read? I, I remember, you know, when I was helping, when I was a tech coach, we had third graders who were keeping track of how many minutes they were reading at home in a spreadsheet and it was auto graphing. And so we were looking at, you know, we were starting to look for patterns and just reading. Like there's so many great ways, I think. And again, like you said, it doesn't have to be a big data set. We can start with things small. And one of the things we get into, I love this, is looking for things that you don't think that could be data that's sitting around you, like saying thank you. You know, that's just, just such a great way to go about it. So to learn all about today's guest, please head over to the show notes. Um, I think she's got one of the coolest websites I've ever seen. And I consider myself somebody who looks at an awful lot of websites. Uh, her portfolio, again, just wonderful example of data visualization. And I think this is such an interesting career pathway for students. Um, and uh, really just a way to think differently about what it means to be a storyteller in 2022. Such a great episode. Let's get into it. Gabriella Marit talking about data visualization. And with that. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. So excited to have uh, another guest with us, Gabriella, as we continue talking about data literacy and all the cool stuff you can do with data today. Gabriella, thank you so much for being on the show. Can you give us a little bit of your background, uh, kind of a little bit of your history, and how did you get into data visualization? Yeah, um, thank you for having me, Satwev. Uh, what's my background? My background is I studied biology 
um, specifically immunology in school. So I have a master in immunology. Um, and from there, I quickly moved from research to traditional background in research to um, scientific communication. So scientific communication is about taking research papers and translating it to words that are um, comprehensible to a general public that may not be cool. informed and, you know, have, um, um, you know, not be fascinated by, passionate by research papers. So that's kind of what I used to do. And from there, what happened is that I realized that it's sometimes easier to, um, for instance, so you have a molecular pathways and you want to explain that. And it's it will take you three paragraphs, but it might just be easier to make an image or diagram. So I was like, why don't we have those available? And so I started, we hired people to help. And then when you get designers that don't have this background of science, they have even a harder time doing it themselves because mm. they don't understand it. So you end up drawing it yourself. And from there, I was like, well, if I can't draw, maybe I can illustrate. Um, and from there, I moved towards the visualization, um, slowly but surely. Wow, that's cool. And we'll be sure to link to your website. I, you know, we're we're really fortunate that we get to see such a wide variety of websites with the guests that we have on the show. Yeah. But I have to say, yours is like one of the most. I, I mean, I guess as someone who works in data data vis visualization, <laughs> the pressure is on for you to have a cool website. But I'm wondering, we will have listeners, and maybe I'm even asking for myself here, who, when we're trying to define what data visualization is, for someone who's never heard of it before, how would you describe it? What What is it that you actually do? You're like a magician. I, just had, I know, it's like magic. You click a button and then things happen. Um, it's, it's funny because I was explaining to somebody today what it was, and she quickly said, I was trying to explain it, and she interpreted by saying, so you're pretty much translating, and I was like, yes. Mm. So data visualization is the art of translating information into a visual story. Um, and the info that are, you know, stories that are engaging and easy to understand to convey that information. It, when we talk about information, we have to be precise, I think, because it's a bit of a tricky, I think we call it data visualization, but to me, it's even bigger. It's information design. So information can be quantitative. So it can be actual data, like an Excel chart, and, you know, like an actual table boring table with numbers, but it can also be more like qualitative. It can be about emotion. It can be things that are not measured with data itself, like with numbers. Um, and the simple way to think of it is typically diagram, for instance, like just showing process processes, for instance, is information design, is data visualization, um, but in a larger, larger way. And I'm really glad that you touched upon kind of the emotional link. Um, we discovered you through a data fest talk that you gave and listeners the, the whole playlist is great but your talk specifically really resonated with us you discuss the ways in which your work amplifies empathy and you go through examples of the ways in which information when we present it slightly differently it can really shift perspective so i'm wondering if you might speak a little bit more about the ways that you've presented information in a way that goes beyond those numbers yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing that I think why emotion, I think is quite important here to understand it because it, it relates to the answer of like, how do we do it? Um, why emotion? Because when human takes decision, they're actually not logical. It's We think we are logical, but really what we're doing is deciding based on our emotion and then you know, justifying it with logic. Uh, and this is not me just 
spurring my ideas is actually research. There's, it's been shown that if you lose um, some frontal lobe section that allows you to have emotion, you lose the capacity of taking decision. Um, and I can send you some research papers on it because it's really exciting. <laughs> but outside of that, this links to the, the reason why I think emotion is important and how I do it. So when we look at charts and they look like traditional charts, what I call traditional, so the classic line graph, you know, clean, you know, clean label, nothing, geometric lines, not super exciting. That's what happens. It's kind of flat emotionally. There's no emotion related to it. Um, and it's really hard to understand a subject fully without having this emotion attached to it when it comes to specifically human subject or things that touch to the human or to certain like emotional impact. Um, so what I like to think, the technique I like to use is called, this is not a pipe, you know, that this is not a pipe, like, like little, you know, painting. Um, I like to think of this as not a chart. So I like to draw charts that don't look like charts um, because it's so hard to relate to a traditional chart. It just looks like something that's just a chart and people sometimes are like, oh, whatever. Um, so what I like to, to do when it comes to, to presenting it is making it so that it looks like a painting. It looks like a landscape. It looks like something different that you want to engage with and look at. And then behind that or within it, then there's data and then there's information and then there's a message. But the very first thing is always to try to draft it in a way that doesn't look like a chart. And then to do so, you kind of have to define your settings. You have to decide on who's your audience, what's the message. And from there, decide how does, how is it going to feel? How, how is, you know, how is your, your visual going to feel to somebody who's looking at it and I've never seen it before. And then from there, it's almost like deciding if you're going to do a movie scene, and you said that's a movie scene, like it's a horror movie and it happens, you know, and it's going to be scary. You're going to put it in a specific setting. It's going to be in a, maybe an old house. There's going to be some like weird noises. The mood is going to be dark. So the same type of thinking that you would do if you have to do a scene in a movie on a certain topic, I would kind of try to find those visual elements and, and add this into a data visualization. So instead of, let's say, a traditional, let's say you have like a simple bar chart, but we're talking about people. Maybe you're talking about specific group of ethnicity, you know, maybe a specific ethnicity. Maybe I'm going to actually like put the photography of those people within the chart mm -hmm. somewhere. If I'm talking about climate change and I'm talking about carbon emission, maybe there's going to be some smoke visual happening to give a mood and atmosphere. Um, something that, yeah, doesn't look like a chart and, and at first look converts certain emotion and then at second look also convey a message. I appreciate that. And, you know, in that talk, you you give the examples of a few images on social media that have been shared the most and how um, at really the heart of each of those images is just like palpable emotion. And that's mm -hmm. why they've been shared so widely. Um, and I, I just think that's really important to be thinking about as storytellers is how are we connecting with one another's humanity. So again, listeners, the, the link to that DataFest talk will be in the show notes. Um, if you are curious to learn more, it's, it's a wonderful talk. I really enjoyed it. So that would be a great, um, I think, follow-up extension. Hey, folks, we'll get back to our conversation with Gabriella here in just a second. But first, a word from our sponsor. Pride and Less Prejudice, a nonprofit organization, is excited to announce their second annual virtual auction. This is on during Band 
Books Week. That happens September 22nd, a Thursday, through till the Sunday, September 25th. You can join and support the nonprofit organization Pride and Less Prejudice in raising $10,000 to send 800 inclusive books to elementary schools across North America. You're invited to bid on a wide variety of items, including artwork, virtual experiences, pride-themed items, jewelry, donations from prominent celebrities and musicians, and much more. So join Pride and Less Prejudice for their second Band Together event. See the show notes for more information or head over to www.prideandlessprejudice.org forward slash events. You have an incredible portfolio over on your website. I was there right before we jumped on the call looking at the amazing stuff in your portfolio. And <laughs> if you're a math teacher or an art teacher listening to this podcast, you're going to want to go check out uh, Gabrielle's uh portfolio. It's just stunning to see the intersection of data and visualization. There's just some really cool stuff there to get kids, uh, you know, just to, to get kids motivated and, and be thinking about data differently. It, it doesn't just have to be line charts. It doesn't just have to be a pie graph. How do you bring that emotion to your data? And, uh, you know, I just... You've done so much incredible work. You know, you've had clients like Harvard and MIT, the World Bank, just to name a few. But I really want to talk about your work with the 365 days of texting. Can you explain kind of the, the origin story of that project and perhaps walk us through how it developed and, and kind of what is your 365 days of texting? Absolutely. It's a personal project that I made, was that two years ago? Quite a while back. Um, so I happened to be French and be married with an American man. And so part of the process to be able to live together is um, to get a green card. So we are married and we have to go for process of green cards. So for those who may not know, I think a lot of people don't know, when you get a green card through, through, through marriage, it's actually not as easy as you would think. You have to submit an entire folder of your entire romantic relationship to um, the government. So that includes um, photography, um, obviously things like financials and, you know, the boring stuff that shows that you're actually married, but also uh, you have to prove that it's a bona, so I've, I'm going to say it in Latin, bona fide a marriage, it's an existing marriage. So you have to show text, letters to each other, things that show that you're actually in a romantic, engaged in a romantic relationship. So part of wow. doing this, putting together this 40 pages folder of where my relationship was, I actually got, a, I went into a really deep dive of my relationship, which is interesting in itself. Um, and part of it to me was realizing that we, uh, a lot of our time is actually spent corresponding by text. Um, so, you know, I, straight up text, Facebook Messenger, um, Google Chat is a favorite platform. You know, across the day, talking about groceries, when do you arrive? Whatever, you know, whatever we have to talk to. And I realized this is, this is a data set in itself. Like you have, mm. you have an archive that you can actually grab and, and download at a CSV, an Excel file, and open it. And here you have all those messages from who is it sent from, to whom, you know, how many, what was the actual message, when was it sent. So from there, you can actually do a lot of different analysis. And, I, you know, I was just kind of curious, to be honest. I was like, okay, I have this data set. I'm a data visualization designer. I should. <laughs> <laughs> probably have fun with it and i was kind of curious too on like my personal data of like seeing patterns like can i actually see patterns in our conversation by just looking at it mm. so i just plug in excel and my first thought was well first how much do we talk to each other online 
uh, and it's quite a bit. So every day, um, I looked at every single day and I'm like, how many messages were exchanged between us every day? Um, and you can plot that in a really nice, you know, little circle. What I chose was a circle. The area of the circle was the number of message. And then also I was curious of, because I speak a lot, which is probably why I ended up on this podcast. <laughs> I like I like talking. Uh, and I was like, who who speaks the most? Like, is there is there is there sometimes where it's more me, more him? Uh-huh. Um, and so I actually analyzed like the percentage and gave it a color. So the the whole visual is not only when do we speak the most, and you can really see patterns. Or when we talk the most is mostly during the week where we were both separated and working in different offices. And obviously during the weekend it goes down. But also I speak the most more often, so you. Can can see my, my the color that was dedicated to me which I believe was yellow uh it's a bit more me but then also I was interesting uh what was interesting to me is also looking at the more emotional aspect of the piece because it looked kind of cold it's just this little circle uh, area that shows you but then I, I wanted that aspect of like relationship so I actually um used some script on excel to look for word like I love you love you like just the emotional things that you would say um, and instead of putting it with just like a circle or square or like this classic symbol, I actually, once I had my real nice layout that you could do in Excel, I actually went by hand and drew by hand every time one of those was exchanged, um, drew by hand on the visual every day, one of those messages was exchanged on it. Mm-hmm. So you can see those little hand drawn hearts everywhere. Um, and then little things I wanted to annotate it the way, you know, almost like a love letter of one year of texting. So I also added, you know, when did we get married? And there's no text that day. <laughs> we were together the whole day. Uh, so just like, you know, little things like we were, every time there's a gap, it's because we actually went on vacation together. Um, right. So I added this little addition by hand to like kind of tell a story of like one year of relationship in texting with my husband. So it's it's just a, a different personal project. I, maybe I would do it differently today, um, sure. but I thought that was interesting and it's an easy data set that anybody could get. Highly highly recommend it. Yeah, it's such a cool project, and I have to actually hope that my wife doesn't listen to this episode because I'm American, but I had to apply to become a permanent resident of Canada. So we went through kind of a similar experience, and I did not do anything as like creative and romantic <laughs> as you did. So that is such a cool project, um, you know. And, and our our listeners, K twelve educators, I know that they will have students who will listen to that project and. What a cool way to document a year of Mm -hmm. friendship, right? I think so many of them also where, Mm -hmm. you know, they are texting, they're messaging, you know, they're, they're sharing different things all the time. Like that's such an interesting way to really dig into our relationships, to celebrate them, to be curious about them. So for, for our, our audience who I know they will have students in mind who are thinking they have some of these similar interests that you have expressed and they've already perhaps shown some capacity for presenting information in a dynamic way. How else might you tell teachers, this is a great way to set up your student on this potential pathway? Like what are some recommendations you might have or resources that you would point them to? Or just, again, as you look back at some of the fundamental experiences that you had, um, what's a great way to sort of help encourage a path towards data visualization as a career? I think 
it's always hard because for me it was a very personal path too so i i mm. think there needs to be an interest to be honest in data to start with i think people get really discouraged i, I would say i was and i hear it from other people transitioning to data visualization being a little intimidated by data itself just the idea of those numbers this idea of excel this idea of just you know all this information um and the idea of like how do we analyze that without going into deep statistic um so to me small data what i call small data is very important so how small can we start and by that i think in some most of my personal work is actually really close to that it's actually very simple data sets sometimes it's just one percentages like 30 percent of those people do these things um very the smallest smallest data can be very interesting so how can we make actually those small data points the most interesting one you don't it doesn't have to be complex and i think that's something people forget they want to have those huge data sets um play on excel but that's discouraging and i think also in, like a little intimidating for, for a lot of people. So I would start with just a smaller thing. Um, one other thing is probably what we just talked about, which is making it very personal. Um, there's different ways of making it personal. Uh, for some people, it's definitely collecting data about like himself, themselves. Um, so typically that project was one of those. It was personal data. It was my own. Uh, it existed, like it was already there. So I kind of took the opportunity. So there's those data sets that already exist, like how many friends do you have on Facebook, where they're located. There's also some that you can actually create yourself. Um, what if you start tracking your own activity, whether it's your diet, your running, your numbers of, we actually naturally do it. I think a lot of people track their steps. So there's things that we already do. So what is it that you collect or that you could collect and make something out of it? Um, somebody who's really an expert into that and speaks a lot about it is Georgia Lupi, uh, who I work with at Pentagram. She she really has demonstrations. She actually had an entire project where she exchanged letter with Stephanie Pozavik um, about like things that we're tracking, like closing it. I think clothing color in my closet or how many times I say thank you per day, like simple things that you would never think about. But this idea of like personal things that you can collect yourself by hand on a notepad, again, is really easy. And there's something interesting about like knowing more about yourself, maybe, um, or about people around you. Like I did one, obviously, on like, you know, our relationship texting. I'm actually currently measuring how often do we fight and what about... <laughs> What about we? Like, what do we fight about? You know, and like, and maybe yeah. it's also interesting in itself, and I could bring that to I don't know, you know, somebody who can help us out with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think there's definitely this personal aspect, and for some people, and for me, that's mainly the case. Is I only want to explore the areas about things that I care about. So for some people, it's just a personal experience, and for some, it's about other people' experience. Um, so what about your culture? What about the group of people you, you like, the community you live with? Is there a message, mainly a message that you want to talk about that could be said with the support of data? I would actually argue that a lot of time we all want to talk about inequality, injustices, things we see that we, you know, would like to, you know, raise awareness um, towards, but we don't really know where to start and we feel like we don't have the background to do so. But like start collecting things even in your neighborhood. Like can we can we can we push people to do that to actually grab a subject of interest to them that they want to talk about and then back it up with data. And that's something really easy to do even I assume in in the classroom. And it would be interesting to see what people want to talk about too. Like do they want to talk about their origin? Um 
you know like is there like all those subjects that maybe we haven't think about as educators as people who do data is i'm covering subjects that are the one i'm interested in but i'm sure there's plenty of like i mean i've had I had this kid that I was visiting when I was younger. He was obsessed with dinosaurs and knew all the teeth of every single type of dinosaur. And that could be a beautiful day that is in itself. Yeah. Um, so can we have that, you know? I think this is like the first very step. And then the data is doesn't have to be done in a computer. I think there's this like gap of like people wanting to do really fancy things the way I do with using like those heavy machines and photoshops and you know really heavy design but can you do data visualization with um rice at home just rice can you do data visualization with putty can you do data visualization with cookies I think there's very simplest way of doing things that are visuals but may not be made as a graphic in a computer Mm, I'm wondering if an example of that, um, the artist Christoph Newman, I hope I'm getting his name right, um, I believe did this series with M&Ms with, you know, just the chocolate candy of trying to explain how does the electoral college work in the US? And he only, you know, had kind of M&Ms as the representation. I don't know if that's kind of an example of what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's or not. a great example. Um, there's a I believe it's there's an Instagram account called I believe it's couple in data or something related. I'm not sure. It's a couple. And they made data visualization with just like random object, like filling up glasses with liquids, cookie stuff, pizza cut. It's it's <laughs> wonderful. It's 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 also hilarious to be honest. And I, I think there's a lot we can do with just the object we have, like the size of your pencil. I'm not sure, but and also something about the visual metaphor about we which object would you choose to mm -hmm. talk about this specific topic? Mm. Um, tape. And there's a great video, I believe it's from Vox. I think it's from Vox. About um, carbon emission per, like, food item. So comparing, you know, meat diary versus, like, broccoli. And they're using tape on the floor. So they're literally filming from above. Mm. And um, the journalist is laying down the tape for the actual. And then she has to do... Um, the you know the meat one and she has to like she's like running out of tape right and it's really fun to look at and it's very visual and very easy to do probably uh to well, be honest you can do it with phone and impactful right, back to you think, impactful when you see somebody running out of tape to try and figure out uh, right back to that emotion piece of it just you you are instantly brought in and i think the other thing uh, the thing i love is there's we live in a data age there is data around us. If your cell phone is on you, it is constantly collecting data. I mean, every cell phone now has uh, activity app of how much time you're spending in every app, how much time you, to your point, steps and sleep. And I mean, it's just sitting there. How do we, how do we use that? Uh, especially with students in classrooms. I mean, there's just so much data we have on ourselves, that personal piece first. Um, you know, how do we start with that when we're when we're talking about making data visualization? So that's, that's and your message of trying to measure some of the things that we never think about. I love that idea yeah, of how many times it. in a day do I say thank you? Um, and Jeff and I have been talking a lot about media literacy, and I'm thinking even of tracking, doing a better job of you know really noticing what are some of the things that are being advertised to you, and doing that comparison even with a small group of students. Um, you know, Goodreads used to provide data to me. Listeners, if any of you know why this has stopped or where I can find it, please write <laughs> into the show to tell me. They used to give you your year in reading that would break down um, the genres that you were reading, how many pages, uh, and they would, you know, really kind of filter everything down to give you this really interesting image of how you spent your year in reading. 
And you've inspired me to think, how can I do that for myself? And how can I do it tech free? So yeah, um, tech free is really important. I yeah, really think, I, so. I think that that's kind of an interesting, an interesting cool. model to think about. So you've given us a lot to think about. And again, listeners, the portfolio is inspiring that data talk is inspiring. So I'm just I'm, I'm so encouraged to continue to watch the work that you're doing, because I do think, as you were saying, sometimes numbers without emotion, there's no impact on the audience. And um, we do have a lot of different issues that we want to raise awareness about. So making sure that that emotional connection is there at the center as storytellers is so important. And I think it's great to think about how data visualization is a wonderful way for students to play around with their storyteller toolkit. Definitely. Absolutely. I, I would encourage anybody to try data um, with smallest, simplest tool and the smallest data and tell their own story. I think that's the secret. Tell stories that matters to you. Tell stories that matter to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That's such a great way to end. Tell stories that matter to you. Mm -hmm. I love that. Gabriella, thank you so much for taking some time to be on Shifting Schools. Thank you so much for having me. That was a blast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.